Let me introduce you to Brock Pierce, Managing Partner of Unicorn Ventures, and a whole lot of other things that Brock does. We're going to learn about his activities, his investment thesis, and so on today. Welcome, Brock. Great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. Well, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your various activities? I know you're a, an expert in Bitcoin, expert in crypto, expert in blockchain, and you invest other outside of those segments as well. So give us an overview of what you are up to, and then we'll double-click down. Well, um, yeah, I do lots of things, so I'll try and keep it brief. Um, well, I'm a fan of innovation. I'm a... Uh, a believer in change, and I like to facilitate, I like to support those change agents, those people that see opportunity to do things differently. I like to support those people that are saying, I see a way to do something better than it has been done, and uh, I like to uh, call it put fuel on that fire. So let's focus, let's start with Unicorn Ventures. Let's talk about Unicorn Ventures. What, uh, what is the investment thesis of the fund? How big is the fund? Give us a little bit of information about the fund and, and your activities through it. Well, I'm always amused to see what title is put here. So Unicorn Ventures is my family office with my wife, Crystal, uh, who happens to be pregnant. So this is our personal investments. Uh, James uh, Santos uh, administers most of it along with the, the rest of my, call it, personal team. And so this is uh, predominantly uh, a vehicle investing in uh, um, cryptocurrency-related projects or blockchain-related uh, uh, endeavors. They were uh, invested in a fair amount of real estate. I mean, again, it's a family office. Um, as well as uh, a handful of interesting uh, technology projects, uh, call it broader internet. Um, so let's, but um, uh, let's, I, I've been running uh, and founding venture firms for about uh, almost 10 years now. And so I, I've been, uh, I've founded uh, four or five funds directly and I've been involved in the creation of a dozen others or so. And okay. more recently, so, uh, I helped launch uh, EOS VC, which is the biggest limited partner in um, blockchain. We've allocated a billion dollars into uh, blockchain funds, so I've been the largest LP in our industry. Okay. So I would like to actually focus our discussion primarily on your blockchain investments and, more importantly, your blockchain investment thesis. So um, let's start there and give us an idea about how you are looking at the blockchain world as an investor. Well, at a macro, I'm a global macro sort of thinker and investor. The internet has impacted every business on the planet and all of our lives. The blockchain is going to probably have about 10 times the impact that the internet has. And to put it simply, 
the internet as we think of it, uh, the internet of information has changed the way that data moves. The problem is the internet is broken. The internet is going to go away as we know it. It's going to be upgraded. So when the internet was first being designed, the cryptography or the security needed to make the internet secure was known, but the computer processing or processors at the time were not capable of implementing the known cryptography. And so as the internet was first being architected, uh, it was insecure, not by a lack of knowledge, but due to a lack of technology hardware at the time. And by the time that the hardware had caught up with the known cryptography, too much had been developed. And so the early builders of the internet said, oh, we're too far along, too many things have been built. We're just gonna have to go without security. And so the internet was built on a, built on sand. It wasn't built using a solid foundation. And the blockchain does a bunch of things, but most importantly, it is a security layer. And so the internet is going to be upgraded using the security or the cryptography that enables the blockchain and everything you know, every website, every business that's built on the internet is going to be upgraded or go away. And so when you start to understand from a macro perspective how big the change that is coming is, you recognize that this is kind of the only place you should be investing. So Brock, hang on for one second. Your voice is breaking up. Um, is my voice also breaking up, folks? Audience, are you hearing my voice broken up as well? No. Me. Try putting a second okay. earbud in and. Okay, so everybody else is here hearing both voices well. Okay, let's continue then. Um, so, Brock, given that is your kind of high level hypothesis, where are the investment opportunities for venture investments that you are particularly uh, excited about? What are the categories of blockchain so, investments? Yeah, we're, we're about 10 years in, which is, you know, where the internet was in the mid to late 90s. Um, you know, keep in mind the internet wasn't useful until you had a sufficient amount of infrastructure. You need the bridges, the roads, the tunnels. Um, you know, the internet wasn't useful to most people until you had an internet browser, until you had an email client, until you had a sufficient amount of content to consume and things of that nature. So the blockchain is, is now just entering that sort of phase or era um, where we have now infrastructure that can begin to scale. The first 10 years has really been all about infrastructure. Um, not that infrastructure is not a, an important category, but uh, we're now entering the phase where consumer applications are becoming possible for the first time. And so there's two sort of, I'm gonna separate the world into two buckets. You have one which I'll call the developed world. And in the developed world, we have a lot of um, we have a lot of things. We have a lot of stuff that makes our life pretty convenient, most of which we take for granted, but our lives kind of work. 
the developing world being the other bucket. So in the developing world, we have about 3 billion people on the planet that don't have access to any financial services whatsoever. We have another 2 to 3 billion people on the planet with limited access to financial services. So in the developing world, the most interesting uh, opportunity right now is in the category of what I'd call financial inclusion. Two-thirds of the population of the planet have limited access to financial services. And that's for a variety of reasons. I don't need to break it all down, but it's about Latin America. It's about Africa. It's about Southeast Asia. And it's really, you know, FinTech, financial technology that is bringing about financial inclusion. You know, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs in this day and age, you know, what should be on that list is consistent access to the Internet or data. You know, these are, call it basic human rights at this point, uh, almost as important as clean drinking water, as well as basic financial tools. And so the entire developing world is going to leapfrog over what we use today, most people, that is, in the developed world. In the same way that Africa leapfrogged wired telecommunications and went straight to wireless. Yeah. You know, the developing world is going to be getting access to financial tools that uh, brings them to where we are today. In the developing world, I mean, excuse me, in the developed world, it's less about financial inclusion because most of us do have access to the, call it, basic financial services that are needed to go about leading the lives we lead. And so in these areas, it's less about, call it uh, uh, the consumer applications, it's more about the enterprise. It's the, mm -hmm. call it the plumbing. You don't need to know all of the technologies, hardware and software that goes into making your cell phone work to benefit from it. And so most of what's going to happen in the developed world is using these technologies to bring about faster and better settlement, greater security, more efficiency, uh, but it's going to be in the plumbing of the products. You don't need to understand that blockchain is what's making it possible. You just need to know that it's going to be better, faster, cheaper, or more secure. And so those are the macro sort of theses that I have. The developing world is going to be, you know, applications are going to be bringing about financial inclusion. And in the developed world, every, developed world everything we use today is just going to be upgraded. So let's... Um double-click down on each of those categories and give us some examples of ventures that you or any of your funds um, across multiple funds have invested in that particularly stand out as great examples of leveraging blockchain to address one or the other of your two categories. Yeah, so, um, so I started Blockchain Capital, which was the first venture fund in this sector back in 2013. Um, I'll use one example because I think we've invested in over 70 uh, blockchain companies. Uh, I was for some time and maybe arguably still am the, the most active venture investor in the ecosystem. It's not my, you know, area of focus. There's plenty of funds now doing this. Uh, I'm always going to where the market is going and what is needed most. I consider myself a servant. But um, uh, Abra, like Abracadabra, um, is a very interesting one. Bill Barheit, uh, the founder, is a very experienced fintech entrepreneur, having built multiple companies. Um, and Abra is taking uh, advantage of 
call it regulatory arbitrage. Um, PayPal is only in about 30 countries or so, and that's because of financial regulation. It's very difficult for businesses doing FinTech to expand into nations. You can't just like a consumer application say we're global. You have to abide by the laws of the land in every nation in the world, and therefore to be financially regulated is very complicated. And therefore, there are no global financial systems. They are confined and limited by the laws of the land. ABRA is recognizing that with blockchain technology, you are not a custodian of your customers' funds. You are not holding their money in custody. You are just providing software for them to be in custody of their own assets. And therefore, mm -hmm. the regulations are different because you are okay. not holding your customers' funds, but only providing software for your users to hold their own funds. Mm -hmm. You are not restricted by the same regulations. And ABRA is essentially one of the first or the first truly global financial systems, financial tools for consumers. Think of it as the WhatsApp for money. And so mm -hmm. Abra is doing a great job in providing users around the world with the tools to be able to send money from place to place, from person to person. And so Abra and is, is a very a, exciting. Is that a consumer brand or is it, is it going to market through financial institutions in some format? What is its go-to-market strategy on that? Oh, no, it's, it's consumer because you can't, financial institutions are confined to the countries in which they're regulated. This is the first application that I'm aware of that is actually bringing uh, financial tools to consumers all over the world. And it's a consumer app, A-B-R-A, Abra, like Abracadabra. Okay. Look it up. And, that's right. fun, and by the way, that company is funded by American Express and many of the top, uh, a lot of the top financial institutions in the world have funded it, understanding how limited their businesses are by these regulations. Okay. Um, let's do another example. This is fascinating, actually. So this is, a, I gave you a consumer sort of application. Um, let me uh, try and think of a, a good example of, call it um, uh, the developed world and tools for, uh, call it big companies mm -hmm. um, or call it traditional institutions that are upgrading themselves with this technology. Well, uh, from an infrastructure perspective, um, you have a bunch of them, and this is not the, the sexy uh, sort of side of the industry, you know, the consumer application side of uh, the industry, but you have um, uh, groups that are developing, you know, open source software, much in the same way that you had Linux and Red Hat. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of companies that are producing protocols. Well, I'll, I'll use one for example called Block One. So Block One is a company that raised uh, a, a small seed round, uh, I wouldn't call, maybe not that small, close, you know, near $10 million seed, and it's the only financing it will ever do. I'll take it back, it's actually taken in a couple of other financings, but from strategics, um, but that business uh, raised a, a small amount of money to create an open source uh, protocol known as EOS or EOS. Mm -hmm. And so that business uh, 
brought in over $4 billion of profit in its first year from incorporation, making it the most profitable startup in the history of the world. Um, what is and the, it pro what does the protocol enable? It's, it's a new blockchain called EOS, uh, scalable, uh, you know, million transactions per second sort of thing. It's enabling what will be the upgrading of the entire Internet today. And it's, I guess, the most profitable startup in the history of the world by more than 10 times its next closest contender. And so that was an example of, uh, yeah, I mean, probably it, it, it would make investing in Facebook look like it was a, a mediocre investment. <laughs> Okay. In the seed round, that is. And so that's that's, that's an example of a, um, uh, an interesting startup that we funded less than two years ago. What about infrastructure? This is this actually is kind of infrastructure. Um, what about infrastructure in the developing world? Well, so the um, the most interesting a aspect of what's happening in the developing world from an infrastructure perspective, let's talk about building real bridges, real roads, real tunnels. Uh -huh. um, you know, access to capital is, you know, one of the main challenges that, you know, uh, governments have around the world. And they have to use their balance sheets to basically sign guarantees. And with those guarantees, there are people that will lend, you know, to the groups that are then building the infrastructure on behalf of these nations. And so there's a InfraTech is a new fund uh, that's uh, forming right now uh, that um, is in the business of providing infrastructure by using new um, means of accessing capital. You know, capital formation is changing greatly right now, and that is due to blockchain enabling sort of peer-to-peer -peer, um, financing, both at the micro level as well as the macro level. And so um, uh, it, it, it does that by bringing liquidity is probably the main thing, is that, um, you know, venture capital as an industry is somewhat broken. Um, venture capital, so I tokenized the first security uh, and tokenized the first fund in the world and created the first security token. And the idea is that venture capital is only available to the financial elite. It's uh, only available to pensions, endowments, high net worth family offices, and the likes. And the problem is when you invest in a venture fund, your money is tied up for five to 15 years. You can't access your capital, making it, even if everyone had access to it, even if it were democratized, most people wouldn't want their money locked up that long. And so as a result of that, Valuations are always very low because you as the entrepreneur um, have to make the deal very, very good because no one wants their money locked up. It's, a, it's a, a liquidity discount. Because the capital is not liquid, people want to pay 10 cents on the dollar, you know, versus what you would pay in a public market, for example. And so we tokenized the first fund about two years ago. We raised our uh, blockchain capital's third fund in 16 minutes. We raised our, our third fund in 16 minutes from, uh, I think, 800 LPs in 80 countries. And anyone that is a democratized limited partner in that vehicle can buy and sell and trade their limited partner interest. Um, and I said, uh, following that, that venture capital is dead. There will be no venture so, capital as um, we I'm know it in 10 you, years. I'm going to ask you a slightly different question. Um, 
I'm thinking about from an infrastructure for developing countries, I'm thinking of the example of what India is doing with Aadhaar. I'm sure you're following what's going on there. How do you, how do you view that? What is your critique or observation about that effort? Well, no, I mean, in, in infrastructure in the developing world is, is critical. I mean, you've got needs for basic things like identity. And India is, you know, leading the way in this area. But it's back to financial inclusion. You know, you have to bank everyone. Yeah, the and goal is the same, science. financial I mean, inclusion and being able to distribute aid of, uh, so that it actually gets to the people whom it's designed for and so on and so forth. It is the largest... Uh, single uh, accumulation of identities outside of Facebook, owned by a government, not by a private en entity. However, it is also extremely vulnerable to um, cybersecurity breaches and so forth from what I'm hearing. So I don't know if you have any comment on that. Well, it's built on the internet, so it's fundamentally flawed. It's insecure from the foundation up. That's, that, that's the problem. The internet's broken, and the internet needs to be basically thrown away as it exists today. Um, it needs to be upgraded uh, to have a security protocol built into the underlying fabric. And so uh, anything built on the internet is fundamentally broken. And as security and hacking, you know, um, continues its growth, you know, as the the tools of the trade to break things and to hack things and to exploit vulnerabilities continue to improve, which they will, our infrastructure cannot. You know, our infrastructure is fundamentally broken, so it's, we're just going to become more and more and more vulnerable. And so is your primary investment thesis vis-a-vis -vis infrastructure around security? Well, it's one of the things. The other aspect, you know, I've, I've probably overemphasized security. Let's talk about, you know, one of the other most interesting aspects of what blockchain does is transparency. Because you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, you know, delivering aid um, and and recipients receiving the aid that was intended for them. You know, one of the main yeah. problems in the world of aid is that, most of the aid doesn't get to where it's supposed to be going. That's right. It's, it's a, a very big problem. Call it a very, a, a very leaky boat. <laughs> yeah. A lot of leakage, you know, in the system. Uh, some intentionally designed into it, some of it unintentionally. Transparency and the ability to see where one thing begins and where one thing ends, and no matter how many hands it runs through, to see exactly what happens with that flow of capital or those resources, whatever they are, is a, is a very interesting thing. And um, when you shine light in the shadow, everything is seen. And yeah. when everything is seen, when everything is known, um, it makes everyone be good actors. Yeah. And so um, that's one of the things that the blockchain also provides, is it yeah, shines light on transactions of all types. So um, last example, you have talked about protocol and security in the context of the developed market um, and, and one of your really hotshot investments. What about the application side of the developed market? What kind of new fintech applications are coming about that, you, that you've invested in that are interesting because of blockchain? 
Well, let's, uh, I'll talk briefly about a company called Ripple or Ripple Labs, uh, which was, uh, I think, our largest investment in our second fund. Um, also, you know, that one investment was enough to make any fund successful, I suspect. But um, uh, Ripple does a bunch of things, but I'll, I'll simplify it in, you know, banking. When you send a wire, when banks send money from a bank to a bank, it mm -hmm. runs on what's called T plus three. So mm -hmm. when banks send money to each other, they usually have what's called three-day settlement. It takes three days for the money to move from one bank to another. You, the consumer, might receive it faster because your bank is essentially knowing the funds are coming and they'll credit to you, credit it to you in advance of you receiving it. But these are using systems known as ACH or SWIFT. And so Ripple has built a protocol for banks around the world to improve settlement down to zero days, you know, minutes versus days. And so it's a new interbank settlement system. I mean, ACH and SWIFT is going to go away. It's ancient, That's archaic, cool. ancient garbage. <laughs> I mean, it's garbage. Um, and now we have better systems in place. And so Ripple uh, is partnering, I think, with hundreds of banks now to upgrade their infrastructure so that we have faster settlement. But that's for banks. You know, that banks can now um, send money from one bank to another bank instead of the way it works today is banks send money to one bank that goes to another bank that goes to a central clearing yeah. bank that goes down to another bank. It's this, I mean, if, if you actually saw the way the financial system works, you'd say, can you design it any worse? <laughs> I mean, yeah. but at the time, it adds a lot of velocity to the financial system, a lot of lubrication, yeah. Great. Yeah, and so that's, very interesting. that's an example of banks, banks upgrading their systems with this technology. And every bank on the planet is using blockchain in some way now. So I'm going to ask you a last question, which is, what, uh, what is an open problem that you see out there that you would like an entrepreneur in our universe to go solve using blockchain? Well, um, you know, one of the, the, the main things that I'm concerned by, one of the main needs that uh, exists is this technology has the potential to positively impact so many lives, but a lot of it's still theoretical. Um, I, I, I stopped playing what I call the game of compounding interest. You know, compounding interest being the game of self-interest. How do I do more for me? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm changing the game and I'm playing a different game, which I call compounding impact, which is how do I have as big and positive an impact on the world as I possibly can. And so a lot of the things that we talked about today, like the financial inclusion, but there's many other things, is how do we go from the theoretical impact of this technology to the actual impact? I'm looking for lighthouses. I'm looking for real world examples where people's lives are being positively impacted in a material way. And so these are the things that, uh, you know, as I say, there's a Japanese term, and so this is the tipping the hat to Satoshi. You know, tipping tipping the hat to Satoshi, you know, a, a, a Japanese pseudonym, um, known as Ikigai, which if you take a look at three, a, re, a Venn diagram of three rings, a trinity of rings, yeah. where it's understanding what are you passionate about? What do you love? 
and for each of us to understand one of those things that we're very passionate about, play to your strengths. What are you good at? You know, what are those things that you're naturally good at? What are the things like, as Malcolm Gladwell would say, what are your superpowers? You know, what are the things that you've invested 10,000 hours into that uniquely defines you and makes you the wonderful human or the wonderful being that you are? And what does the world need? You know, what does the world need right now? How can you make the world a better place? And so understanding what you love, what you're good at, and what the world needs, the intersection of those three rings is what's called your life purpose. And I'm, lo I'm looking to help people um, along that path to make a positive impact in the world. And so we need everything. The world is in need of a lot of help right now. You know, people need a lot of help right now. I mean, as I said, two-thirds of the planet doesn't even have the tools to enable themselves to live a meaningful life. So let's bring the tools to everyone on the planet so everyone can live the best lives possible, and as a result of which, better the lives of everyone around them. Very good. On that note, thank you, Brock, for being here today and sharing your perspectives on the blockchain universe. It's something that we'll continue to explore and uh, look at more opportunities. We are seeing lots of companies developing in that area also within the program. So thank you for being here. And uh, last, last thing is, the last yeah. thing is Port, okay. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico needs uh, needs entrepreneurs and it needs angel investors and mentors to, uh, you know, it, it's about the developing world right now. The meek will inherit yeah. the earth. <laughs>